clock. That's insane. Yeah, but here's what's insane. There's a guy, kind of know him, you know, I just see him around the gym for a long time. He's a pretty big fella. Um, you know, are we, are we recording? Yeah, but I'll delete this after. No, we could, we could, we could record some of this because I got a, I, I, there's something I want to say about the gym. Do you want me to do three, two, one then? Sure. Three, two, one. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. We all have mothers. So do the smartest guys in the room. Jerry Dempsey, your host, along with Matt Smith slash Otis. What's going on, Matt? Happy Mother's Day, Jerry. It is a glorious day, isn't it? You know, without you, your wife would not be a mother. So I could wish you a happy Mother's Day. Yeah. Because you helped right. make it possible. I mean, I have, uh, you know, people say, like, I had skin in the game. And then people will one-up it by saying, oh, yeah, and a few vital organs. But, you know, skin is your largest organ. <laughs> who says Who says that? <laughs> These weird people. I saw it on the internet. <laughs> Well, my, I don't, you know, especially since my kids have grown, Mother's Day is weird because my wife's not my mother. My kids are gone, <laughs> so uh, she works on Sundays. So I, I took her out for dinner last night. So it's really Otis Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's actually she's working, and I'm my kids are on their own. So it's it's whatever I want to do today, day. Well. But isn't every day for you like dog day? Because you have to take care of your crazy dog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do that on Sunday morning <laughs> before. Uh, I don't get up as early as you. You get up at an ungodly hour on Sundays. I'm usually getting up. I'm turning the coffee maker on. And I'm taking the dog for a long walk before me and you record. So... When we come back, she sleeps next to me and That's behaves. Good. That is awesome. But I'm trying to like I'm I'm only up like a half hour before we start this every 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 week. So, well, you seem always fresh to me, so I'm not complaining. Yeah, I'm always fresh. So um, what's going on? You you were up early today. So I go to the gym and I like going at five because there's only a few like a handful of hardcore people there. It's not loaded with everybody, right? Our gym, pretty popular, gets a lot of people, etc. Five o'clock, there's like 10 people in the whole gym. So you could, in your mind, you just act like, I own this place because no one else is here. Blah, blah, blah. I see this guy who's always there too. And he's kind of a big guy. Um, but I see him today in the locker room. He's got his shirt off and the dude is jacked. And I mean like lean as I've ever seen him like he, had, he before you know he had muscle on him but he you know looked like a regular guy and you would never call him fat um for a lot of reasons but he didn't really look fat and then I see him today and I mean he's just like ripped like he's gonna go on some kind of show and I don't talk to him like hey we're good pals but we usually say hi or we've talked a couple times but I'm like dude like, you look great, man. What, uh, you know, how'd you do it? Or something. I just said something like that. Did you uh, say, it, what's your regimen? <laughs> I just said, keep going. Take the pants off. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just said, how, how did you, I go, you look great. And uh, he goes, yeah. He goes, he goes, about six months ago, I was on vacation. And it's the same story. And he looked, like I said, you would never call a guy fat. He looked all right. Right. Um, How old is this guy? He's like in our, he's probably 40, 45, maybe. Right. And he just said, I came back from vacation. My wife has a bunch of pics. And he's like, God, I've let myself go. Look at how fat I am. And he's like, I had this whole like panic thing. And I'm listening to him and I'm like, yeah, you didn't look that bad before, but I'll, I'll keep going along with you. And well, he just said, you know, he's like, I spent the last bunch of months basically starving himself, uh, intermittent fasting. He started seeing a nutritionist and yada, yada, yada. But he's like, at the end of the day, dude, you know what it is. He goes, he goes, you, you know, cause he even said, he goes, you're down from some, you know, a, a, a heavier weight. I'm like, true, but I'd like to go, you know, 
I don't need to look like you, but I could, I could go another 20 or 30 pounds and no one, you know, no one would miss it. And, uh, but, but he said, but, but listen, you, you dedicated yourself at one point, you dropped 20, you dropped 30, whatever. He goes, and then once you got to a comfort zone, you just kind of started blowing it off, did you? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. And you and I, you know, we joke about it, but it's just every day doing the same shit and saying, today I'm not going to eat, I only eat one cheese Danish or maybe a half a cheese Danish. By the way, that's what we served my wife, um, was cheese Danish this morning for breakfast in bed. I thought oh, of you. That's sweet. That's sweet. Well, you know, there's a fine line. First of all, if you're trying to lose weight or get in shape, the last thing you should ever do is starve yourself. You need food to build muscle. Number two, you know, <clears throat> everything comes down to your diet. You could do a, you could spend six hours in the gym, but you can't cheat the diet. You can't, you can, the, you know, your body knows if you're in the gym constantly, but you're feeding it shit, you know, it, the shit's going to ultimate. The shit is always more powerful than the weights just is. And food is always there. And, but you know, you got to enjoy life too. You can't, you know, I mean, people can do what they want with their lives, but you know, you gotta, you gotta enjoy life. So it's all, uh, you know, it's all moderation. It's all, you know, well, never starve thing, yourself though. You know, no matter if you're trying to gain weight or lose weight. No, I I have a different. I don't starve myself. I can't and I won't. But um, I went to the doctor recently, and what I found, you know, everything was good. My weight was okay. I could lose weight more, you know, if I felt like it. But uh, my LDL cholesterol was up, and I I told the doctor flat out, I'm like, there's no way in hell. Like I have not. LDL been eating. is the bad cholesterol. Correct. Low density. You want, you want a low number right. of that. It's low HDL. density and it's sticky. And that's what causes the plaque builds up wherever it feels like in your arteries. <laughs> yeah. I've got a battle with, I have a genetic battle with that. Well, but here's, here's my takeaway for everyone listening and yourself. I immediately, I told Dr. Up and Down, no way should it be higher than last time. Cause I was doing keto before and eating bacon and shit all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so what I found, I started Googling it and going on WebMD and all these fun places. Um, unfiltered coffee. If you drink unfiltered coffee, like a French press or anything without the paper filter. Yeah. That actually contributes to your LDL. And I, I have a French press and that's how I drink my coffee. You know, I did know that. Um, I didn't, but I forgot that. So that's a good reminder. Um, I don't think I drink unfiltered coffee. Well, if you I gotta have, go. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't you know, know, sir. So speaking <laughs> of gyms, I I always used to always belong to like a specialized gym with like you know trainers, and it's let's just say it's non-commercial gym, you know. Right. Membership is kind of expensive per month and there's, tra you know, trainers and workouts of the day, the wads, you know, all that stuff. But when I moved back to Buffalo, uh, number one, because I didn't really know any trainers. Number two, because I was retiring. I wanted, I didn't want to spend a lot of money anymore. I joined, uh, just your, you know, I joined crunch fitness. It's just basically a, uh, commercial gym and it's your typical commercial gym. You know, it's not bad. The, the benefits of commercial gyms is, you know, they're big They're You don't have to, you know, you can go anytime you want. Um, there's a lot of strength training equipment. Um, you know, I pay like $21 a month instead of $200 a month, you know, uh, but the but downside of a commercial gym is, you know, it's, it's certain hours it's packed. It's filled with a lot of bros at certain points of the day. Uh, there's not enough room to really do any conditioning, you know, uh, 
and I, and I don't mean cardio. I mean like you know genuine conditioning exercises. So I mean it's it's your typical commercial gym. But what I love about commercial gyms too is it attracts a lot of like really old people who are like seventy and eighty years old, <clears throat> and they do these. They make they they make up their own exercises on the on the machines, and I just sit there and I watch these people and I'm you know, I have they're on these pulley machines, and it's like you know those reels videos you see on like the internet where it, these things are real life. I, these guys, these old guys, I just I want to go up and ask them. They 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 invent their own exercises, and I'm dying to know what they think they're doing, and it's hysterical. <laughs> And I've, I do everything I can not to laugh. You know, young kids are probably like filming these guys and putting them on the internet. But like, yeah. I, you know, on the one hand, I think good for them. You know, they're they're eighty years old. They're motivated to come to the gym. Who knows what they're fucking doing? Uh, but you know, they're here, so that's that's part of the battle. That's a good thing. But uh, number two, I'm just like, on the other hand, I'm just like, what what are you doing? And you're you're hogging the machine, like, I, you know, I, you know what I'm talking about? You ever see these? Old oh, machines? yeah. No, I was just letting you kind of course to the end there. They leave me I, I see these people every day. And um, <laughs> interestingly enough, like I'm friends with some of the trainers at my gym. Right. And I'm getting trained by one of them right now. And uh, two of them were telling me some stories about people that have like, you know, they had to take them to the hospital because they were hanging off like the pull down bar and jumping with it. And doing, you know. I don't know what this old man was doing, but he ended up, you know, snapping and falling and they had to put him on a gurney and get him out of there. <laughs> and he's back at the gym. He's like and he likes, you know, there's there's actually this one little old uh, Asian guy. And he, he looks a little bit like Mr. Miyagi and he has these. Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon swim trunks that he wears to work out in every day. <laughs> and what was funny was I was trying to get out of there yesterday. So I'm like, and I hate, you know, like the minute you know this game, you get to your locker, no one's around, you spread all your shit out, you're happy, you're just getting your stuff, you're putting your socks on and whatever. And I have to sit down to put my socks on because I'll fall over. All of a sudden, he comes like over butt naked from the shower, and he's like, "It's <laughs> all shriveled asses right in my face." The old guys <laughs> have, always have no qualms about walking around stark. But he's like, right, and of course his locker's right next to mine, and there's no one else near us. And I'm like, I had like three minutes to get the fuck out of there, and now this little guy, and he's like, "Oh hi," you know, and I'm like, "Hello." <laughs> I try to avoid the locker. I come like all ready to go. And if I do have to use the locker, I'll like wear my shorts underneath my pants and stuff, so I can get just get dressed in the in yeah. in the gym itself. Are you a never nude? <laughs> do you like walk around with your towel? <laughs> I, well, yeah, first of all, I'm a, I'm a never nude. Second of all, I just I need those old people. They just walk around naked, like, and they stay naked for like fifteen minutes. The best is you know they have all these uh, blow dryers set out in our gym for people. I was watching some old man blow dry his balls one day. <laughs> and I was like, I just got to get out of here. <laughs> there's this, there's this old man that comes to the gym I work out in and he, and it's like, you know, he's retired, you know, he's in his eighties and he comes in every day and he wears his work boots and he's got these Wranglers, which he wears up around his chest. He's got these cheesy suspenders. And then he's got like, he wears his garden gloves yeah. And, and then he has like all these contraptions on his belt. Like one is he keeps like four pens in it. Then he keeps like a knife in it and he keeps a uh, a measuring tape. And, you know, the guy's retired. So this is what he's just walking around town. He and he, prepared, wears, he, brings it, he wears it to the gym. And then he gets on like one of these pulley machines and he pulls the pulley like as fast as he can, which is at his age is very, <laughs> yep. very slow. Yep. And he's pulling it like two inches back and forth. Yep. And he had like a <laughs> hundred pounds on. Like, <laughs> like, what are you doing? 
You know, he that's the, that's how the guy hurt himself. He, oh, it'd he be put a better like 130 workout. pounds on it and it snapped him back up. He'd get a better workout if he stayed home and tried to jerk off. You know, I mean, his I don't complaint get it. was that he couldn't. You know how you can adjust the thing to your knees so you can kind of snug in. Yeah, he couldn't pull the pin out to adjust that thing that uh, cushion. So he had a lot of room between his knees and the cushion. So when he put 130 pounds on, he pulled it down and then it snapped him back up and flipped him out of the thing. There was a guy a couple of weeks ago, he was like in his seventies and he went to lay down on the, those, the leg machine where you lay on your stomach and you lift the, uh, you know, and it's for your hamstrings. And, yeah. and he, he, he laid too far up and he just, he fell down. He like did a he fell and he did like a somersault on the floor, and you know everyone had to like run over and help him get up. And I'm just like, oh man, commercial right. gyms. Commercial gyms just, I mean, they are what they are. They suck though. Last one on the gym. We actually have these um, vibrating things. They're like this big. I don't. You stand on it and then you press the buttons and the thing vibrates like crazy. And I mean, it what? shakes your whole body. I, I'll look it up and send it to you. I don't know the the trainer goes, go stand on thing. I'm like, no, that's weird. And uh, it's a platform, okay? And then you stand on it, and it's got a little interface, and you press in like two minutes at like level five. And I go, well, what's the max? Nine. So of course I go to ten. And uh, the thing starts shaking me, and I mean, I thought I was gonna have an orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> But it was really actually once I got kind of used to it, like you could lock out your legs or just turn your body right and you could feel it all the way up your spine and your head starts like vibrating. Do you lay on it? No, you well, you can. You could probably grind on it if you wanted, (laughs) but I stand on it and like you can do squats and you know, it it, like plays with your balance a little because it's vibrating like and you're like, it's great. Like, (laughs) If you go on that for five minutes right when you walk in and you're not awake when you get there, you will be fully awake and you'll be ready to fucking work out. <laughs> Is it always being hogged by the women? It's <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it, there should be. <laughs> There's like two of them. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, so what do you got for us today? Oh, we're talking about war. And we're not war. talking about just war, like, what's it good for? Because we know it's good for nothing. But, like, you know, I was driving the car the other day. This is what gave me the idea, all right? And I heard a wonderful Guns N' Roses song called Civil War, right? And um, it's got I the hate, cool I, hand, Luke. I always huh? hated that song. It's Well, the song's not that great, but the message is powerful. Right is what I would say, because I agree with you. But the point is, I'll listen to it because it's GNR, and I don't know too easy to turn the station, I guess. But uh, the end, you know, uh, the, Axel goes, you know, what's so civil about war anyway? And I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, there's nothing civil about war. <laughs> and then I, and then someone, I heard someone else say something, well, in Sun Tzu's book, The Art of War, and I'm like, there's nothing art. There's no art and war. In fact, art, you know, and I, my brain just started taking it, running it with it, you know, um, like interestingly I... enough, I'm I'm currently reading art, the art of war. Wow. And we didn't even we didn't even uh, sync up on that. It's interesting. Well, you know, there's these there, you always see these reading lists about like books that every man should read before they die. And and, uh, you know, I, I, that that book is on every list, no matter what the list is. No matter how different every list is, that's that one book is like the constant on every list. Mm. And if you just buy the book instead of you don't don't buy like the because right now, if you go into the store, you can find four different versions of the book. And it's the book that. Uh, Sun Tao actually wrote, but then it always includes like, you know, a, a long uh, interpretation by some scholar and like, I'm yep. just like you know what? Fuck that. I'm, not, I'm not reading this guy's interpretation. Yeah. I'm just buying the book. So the book itself is really only like 80 pages. And have you finished it or I'm almost done with it. 
And what uh, are you glad you read it and why? Well, I am glad I read it because it it does. Well, you know, he again, and I know you and I talked yesterday and you said you were being punny about, you know, saying there's nothing artful well, just about a play war. on words, you know, right, you know that. right. But I, you know, it's a strategy for how you attack war. And in the modern day, you know, a lot of businessmen and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, different populations can use that same book as a strategy for how they attack either their profession or their life. So, yeah, I mean, I, it, look at anything that makes you think is good, right? I have not read it. Um, but to your point, I've been, you know, you, you know, when you're in some kind of gratuitous interview and you're picking like the elder person's brain about stuff and yeah. Oh, what's some career advice? Read. It's, it's just funny. Cause that's when someone said to me about 15 years ago, you should read the art of war. I'm like, okay, I'll get right on that. But a lot of it is, you know, it's, it's funny. Like a, a lot of it keeps coming back to like, you know, all war is deception and, you know, using the element of surprise and, you know, uh, the, the things that you don't do in war, be, you know, like being reckless and, uh, being hasty and, you know, being prideful. It's, I mean, a lot of it is all shit you've heard before, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's philosophy and it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Well, it was written in the fifth century BC. I do know that. And it makes me think a book that's been around now. What? I don't know. How many centuries is that? Like seven, I guess. You know, that's still relevant. Well, that's, you know, there's something to that. Same time. People, human beings like to fucking kill each other. <laughs> so, I mean, again, I have not read the book and I can't really comment on it, but I know a lot of business guys say, you know, we're all warriors and da 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 da. We need to kill the competition. And, you know, and that's capitalism. It's bad. And, and there's a lot of truth in a lot of those things that everybody seems to say. But <clears throat> I wanted to take more of a deeper approach to it when I, when I started thinking about it. And, you know, I was thinking about like chaos and order, right? Um, Which you speak of often. Yeah. Well, because you clean you clean a room, it's nice and orderly. Then a week later, your kid's room, your kid's your house, you know, it's it's just a pigsty. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's funny, on this Mother's Day, I'm going to take a quick sidebar here, because I know, you know, in the history, or in the past, you've mentioned how your wife enjoys cleaning your house a lot, right? Yeah, well, actually, she likes likes doing yard work, especially, but go ahead. Well, you know, we celebrate my mother, and I have 11 siblings, and all I can tell you is... My mother kept that house so spotless. Now, once we were old enough, you started getting jobs, but she had like an order to like ordering us around. And if I'll give her any kind of credit, which I do often, but she could manage all of us to do all these jobs. And we're a bunch of, you know, rambunctious kids. Okay. But uh, Every Saturday morning, we would clean the crap out of that house, and it would be spotless for, like, an hour. <laughs> and then it would descend back into chaos. Yeah, it's funny. I never <laughs> thought of it that way, but order and chaos. Because, like, my house, I only had three siblings. We were all five years apart. So, you know, there were a lot of times where, like, you know, I got to a certain age. My sister was already gone in college, you know, and uh, my house was not busy like your house was, but my mom kept our house and my mom worked all day, but she kept our house spotless. And like we, it was almost, it was almost spotless to, she, it, it, I used to think she was a little bit mentally ill the way she kept the house. Cause it was so spotless. Like we had like towels in the bathroom that we weren't allowed to touch, you know, and mm. you know, furniture, 
a, we had a whole room that like nobody could go in. It was like a family room. And it was like, what was the point? You know, but <clears> she <throat> would keep the house spotless and she'd work all day. No one was home during the day because we were either in school or our parents were working. And then she would come home from work and she would tear the house apart, clean it and put it back together. And I think, and I never realized that until just now that that speaks to the order and chaos you always talk about. Yeah. And that's, but it's played out, you know, there's a word, I'm going to use a big word and I apologize for it. It's called entropy. And I had to look it up, but it's basically to put it in uh, terms that I can understand. It's like a car battery sitting in your car. That's unplugged from the car. Your car won't run without it, but you, for whatever reason, and maybe it's Kafka esque, I don't know. You can't get to that battery, but the battery says it's plugged in, but the car is not getting the battery and the battery is fully loaded. You know what I mean? So that's a problem in thermodynamics. And, but I also see it metaphorically in our, in our world today. You know, we as a society want to get somewhere and we want to do it together. We want everyone to, to have equity or at least a good quality of living, you know. I don't think everyone has to live the exact same life. That sounds insane. But like we look around the world today and we know what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. Well, actually, we don't, but we know it's not good. But at the same time, the world is seen much worse. (laughs) I don't know if that gives anybody any comfort. It certainly doesn't make me feel any better. But I don't know. What, What do you mean by that? Like what? Just that there's always warring nations like you know i i watch the news and oh china's bad russia's bad they're in their country saying usa is bad and we're all like throwing each other under the bus but at the same time oh you know we're we need each other for all this commerce that we do (laughs) so it just seems to be a struggle of how do we work when you when you work well and you've worked plenty of jobs when you have good coworkers. And you, you're, you're clicking, you're running, you know, you're getting stuff done. Then all of a sudden your coworker leaves and you get a new coworker and the FNG isn't so good. And then you, you hate them. I'm just looking at, I'm comparing the two, you know, like from a micro and a macro level. And then I just wonder, you know, what's artful about just having all this, you know, going out and murdering the other tribe and then the other tribe coming back a month later and murdering a bunch of our people. Like there's nothing artful about that. <laughs> no, but it's, it's order and chaos, you know, like I think that's what it comes back to. Um, because I always wondered, like, it's weird. And again, I never thought of anything in the context of order and chaos, but now that you bring it up and I'm putting together you know, the pieces of the puzzle, either it's with my mother or, but I used to have this common reoccurring thought that like, it always seemed the world was at war and then it would be good for 10, 15, 20 years. Then it would be at war again. Then it would be good for 10 more years. Then there'd be another war. And I always wondered why, and maybe it speaks to this order and chaos theory you're, you, you know, you're, you, you bring up, you know, there's a lot more to it. I think that, you know, I think that leaders are warlike people and it has a lot to do with ego and, and, uh, you know, wanting power and, and things like that, you know, like George Bush, the first George Bush, he seems so genteel, but like that guy, that guy was a a badass. I mean, he was a, he was a very warlike person. You know, he, he fought in war. He was, you know, the, the director for the central intelligence agency, you know, uh, uh, you know, and he, I don't think there was any, mis- I don't think there, it was, I don't think, I think it was, if you followed his trajectory, 
he was a warlike person his whole life. I was, there's no surprise he got us into the first Gulf War. You know, I never understood that as any any significant threat to the national interest, you know? No, we can look back at that now and say say what you're saying, and I would totally agree with you. You know, but you think about it. I used to say this all the time. I hear from other people. Follow the money. You know, see how people are paid, and that's how they behave. What's interesting, though, is our generation, and you and I were born in 1967, and, uh, you know, they say every generation goes 25 years. So we're really the only generation that didn't have, didn't, like, every generation before us was influenced by war, you know? Yep. And even the generations after us now are, you know, have been influenced by war. Our generation wasn't, you know, our generation fit really cleanly in between uh, the Vietnam, Vietnam War and <clears throat> all the the constant, you know, wars in the Gulf, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, for for the age of, you know, 19 or whatever. That was the average age of a uh, Vietnam soldier from America. We, you know, we, there was never a call to action, you know, because I remember after the World Trade Center got bombed, you know, and there was the rally around the flag mo movement. You know, there were, I've watched these guys tell the story of, you know, I was in high school. I'm like, I'm joining the military. I want to go fight. I want to go fight. We never had that to your no. point, I guess. There was no. the, there was the idea of joining the military, especially like there was a draw to it for me because I didn't have money for college. And, you know, and I thought, well, military, you know, turn me into a man, lean, mean fighting machine. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there was a hangover, though, that hung over the military after Vietnam. What does that mean? Well, it was, it, you know, the military service. The 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 public relations end of the military, the perception of the military, it changed drastically after the Vietnam War or as a result of the, the Vietnam War. There was a low point for the U.S. military, like during the late 70s, early 80s. Oh, yeah. You know, now it's I think it's more common for people to leave high school and go and to the military again, because our military is, you know, it's constantly being upheld and, you know, think a veteran and things like that, you know, and a lot of that has to do with the recent wars we've been in and the sacrifices sure. like, you know, in our face, it wasn't like that when you and I were growing up, you didn't hear a lot about like support the troops and, you know, think a veteran when we, when we were growing up. Because there was this hangover from the from the Vietnam War, right? It was kind of a period of let, we let's not talk about it. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, and it was almost the the military almost had a black eye while we were growing up. Definitely were, definitely were. So in a in a weird way, Vietnam War did our generation a favor because it it kept you know leaders it kept the country from you know, devolving into some other war because Vietnam just, the country went through so much turmoil during it. Yeah. Everyone just had a hangover from it. And it yeah, kind of, it kind of spared <laughs> our generation, thankfully. Well, you know, it's interesting today in today's age, you know, my son was asking me questions about Ukraine and all this stuff. And I don't like to, I don't like to make an opinion unless I have enough information to feel confident in the opinion I make. I mean, I'll talk shit all all day, but when it's serious, I really will avoid making a point or taking a side. Um, and I just told him, I'm I'm a peacenik. He's like, "What the hell is that?" And I'm like, oh, "It's slang from the old days." <laughs> what 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 was your son's question? Just uh, you know, like. Do you support U.S. backing Ukraine? Is Russia really bad? Like, you know, he was asking pretty good questions. And do you think we're doing the right thing 
by staying out, but supporting them financially. You know, and I, I made an offhand comment saying basically what we're doing is taking the money. We got you have a rich country that's taking the money from the poor people and giving that money to the rich people of a poor country. That's what we're doing. There's, we're transferring wealth. And, you know, I actually know some people that are from Ukraine. And the comment that stuck with me was, it's like uh, a divorce that you still keep having to deal with each other. I'm like, yeah, yeah but this thing's going to lead to, you know, that's Ukraine. That's her speaking about how they feel about Russians. But, well, you know, the, go ahead. The interesting thing is in the why, why this war is so serious is because this is a major war in Europe that is threatening the the rest of the world. And what I mean by that is in the early 90s, around 91, 92, I, I was a military reporter and I covered uh, the 10th Mountain Division, which is a huge uh, light infantry division. And light infantry, the whole concept there is unlike armored divisions with tanks and things like that, the light infantry is a you their mission is they are to be ready to be deployed and on the ground in within eighteen hours of being called up by the president. We're usually with a a uh, armored division, it takes, you know, two weeks. So the U.S. military went through this very dramatic downsizing in the early 90s, and military bases all over America mm -hmm. were being shut down, and the yep. size of the military was being reduced, and people were being forced out because the Pentagon and all the powers that be assessed that there was no more threat to America that existed in places like Europe. So there was very little need for armored divisions and things like that. So a lot of the bases that closed were bases that specialized in like, you know, tank warfare and things like that. And the bases that didn't close were, were bases like the one in Watertown the, where there was light infantry. And what that did was the military leaders in America assessed that the threats were going to be regional instead of global, meaning the threats were going to be in the Middle East. And, you know, so the next two wars that America was in were, of course, in the Middle East, and they were regional. But now this is the really the first, with the exception of the war in Yugoslavia, but again, even that was in the early 90s. This is really the first war that we're, we've seen in Europe, and that threatens the rest of the world. This has been a brutally deadly war. I mean, if you look at the numbers in just the short span of time this war has, has <clears throat> been going on, even on the Russian side, the number of Russian troops that have been killed has been is pretty astronomical. Yep. So this is like, this is some serious shit, not just in Russia and the Ukraine, but this poses like a really, really serious threat to the rest of the world. Because well, this isn't, a, yeah. this, this, isn't a, this is not a regional conflict. It has the ability to break out into a global, you know. I'm with you. Or so. Well, and that's kind of what I was speaking to earlier. Yeah, I'm watching the stock market up and down, up and down every day. And, you know, like the economic sanctions that are being placed on places like Russia. Um, you know, nobody wins. This isn't we're, you know, at one point we were probably helping them be, build their economy. And now we're we're trying to squeeze the shit out of them. And uh, to me, I think I try to. As much as I think globalism is scary, all of a sudden there's a case for it. And yeah, I mean, it, well, you know, what do you do on the other hand? Do you do nothing and let the oligarchs who support Putin just get richer off this thing? I mean, it's a, you know, 
No, I don't know what you do. You know, I wish I understood the stock market because I watch Squawk on the Street every fucking morning. And I have mm-hmm. years. And I just might I might as well be watching like some show in Mandarin. I don't understand. Can I um what's give you a on. suggestion? Yeah. First off, I love Joe Kernan, but you know I would I would watch Bloomberg. I watched that too. I don't I don't know what's going on in any of these shows. Well, the other one I was telling you to watch would be and you're gonna probably punch me through the phone or whatever. But Fox Business News. Yeah, I'm not watching Stuart Verney. <laughs> unless it's like, unless it's to find some artful st- warlike strategy to go and get the guy. It's, see, it's not really those people, right? Um, as cute as Maria Bartiroma is. Oh, it's is who not. they bring. I They used to call her the money, honey. I know. <laughs> you know, it's funny you brought that up. I was just, I actually, I wasn't watching her, but like I saw like the... Uh, I have a streaming service. So like you go down and uh, to the bottom of your TV and you stream through like the little icons for each television show and hers features her face. And I was thinking, I was remembering how like, she was used, used to be called the money bunny. No money, and, honey, or the money, <laughs> honey, or she's just, ugh, I find her repulsive. And yeah, well, the Ramones were in love with her. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the Ramones were all conservatives. Especially Johnny. He was like a big time right winger. Yeah. Well, and that's fine. But it's the people they bring on the show. They're some of them really know what the fuck they're talking about, and some of them don't. <clears throat> but even if you don't like the personality, they're going to give you information. Like I used to watch Jim Kramer and I read his book like twenty years ago. All right. So the people hate that guy, right? Well, he's the guy that I watch in the morning. He know I mean, he again. He's definitely someone that will tell you a lot of stuff about stock market. Someone like Charlie Gasparino, though, on the other hand, the guy's a tool bag. I just don't understand any what anyone's saying, whether it's Maria Bartolar, Bar, whatever face, Bartaroma, Bartaroma, <laughs> or Jim Kramer, or like some guest, uh, you know, or some <laughs> some Can dude I- on Bloomberg. Wait. Wait, wait. So Maria's uh, partner, Dage McDowell, reminds me of a female Don Imus. I swear. <laughs> Don Imus is one of the most disgusting humans on the planet. Is he dead? <laughs> yeah, he's been dead for a little while. <laughs> huh. My dad loved Imus. <laughs> Did he? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, he, Imus was big for a while in the 70s. Yeah, was a fan. We listened, we, him and I would listen to Paul Harvey, and then the one time he's like, you're you ever listen to Imus? And I was like, I don't know who he is. So we would listen to him. But my dad loved that guy. I want to change <laughs> gears just a little bit with you. Because um, part of the, the theme of our story was, you know, what is, you know, war is not art- artful. Um, and follow the money. That was the other thing. And then thirdly, you know, people destroy beautiful, beautiful works of art. They steal yeah. them. Like the spoils of war, you know, today's electronic finance system, you know, it's fake anyway. So we can play around with that all day. We can raise the rates, which was great. That was a good idea. Um, That's sarcasm. But my real point is like, and I'll bring up the story that that always, I watched this show one time and it freaked me the fuck out because I'd never heard of it. Uh, The Amber Room. Yeah. That's. That story, that's the one that always hits me the hardest. Like, you know, and for the folks listening, if you don't know it, um, basically this beautiful amber and gold with mirror room was created for royalty, I think, in the Prussians and and in the 1700s. So they built this beautiful room. Uh, it was a gigantic piece of art. Then it was given to Peter the Great in Russia as a gift because they were buds back then. And then the Nazis stole it <laughs> during world war two. Basically when the Americans and or Russians were closing in on, they hit it somewhere and it has never been found. So it's really awful. Cause it's probably, it used to be, it had been called or termed the eighth wonder of the world for its beauty. 
and I've seen pictures and and it, they've done a recreation. I think in the eighties they started doing one or mm-hmm. whatnot. And you can add any color if you know the story better than me, uh, Matthew. But it's just you know I watched this show on it and the pictures of the room. I'm like God, that's what we do. We destroy beautiful art. And then fast forward to a picture of the Nazi tank shooting the Sphinx in the face <laughs> for no other reason than to fuck the Sphinx up, right? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's 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 beyond it goes just beyond that. It's a deeper issue because it, it's not exactly a war crime, but you're it's art is actually supposed to be the destruction of art and artifacts is supposed to be off limits in war. And if you um you remember the there was a lot of controversy Controversy is a shitty word, but, uh, you know, it was big news when the Taliban was blowing up the uh, the Buddhist stat- statues and artifacts in Afghanistan. Um, and, and what why that's such a serious thing is when forces do that, what they're really doing is they're wiping away culture. Yep. And, you know, that is what war does. I mean, yeah. it's so there's no winners. Even when you win, you haven't won. And and what's sad about our world is that uh, none of our idiot leaders have figured this out and they pretend to. But who knows what the fuck's going on? Because you'd like to think, you know, that they would have done that by now. Yeah, I. uh <clears throat> I don't know if you want. I don't know if you want to cover this, but we were going back and forth. I just thought it was an interesting conversation we had about um, protest songs, and you had mentioned the tragically hip song "Scary." Uh, scared. It's not. It's not necessarily a song about war, but they use war and the destruction of art as a metaphor. Uh throughout right. more aptly yeah. put sure well what all i wanted to add about that one was i never you know i listened to the hip i know a lot of their their popular songs but i was not familiar with that song i listened to it about 10 15 times yesterday great it's fantastic and it scared me because <laughs> i wanted to be i guess <laughs> the song's really more about how art the uh, the position that artists are in to you know uh, the power they hold to scare people or to elicit emotion, but there's that whole metaphor where you know the art is being destroyed in World War II. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. a good song, Fair. but um, hey, you know if there if there's one thing that war has produced positively, it's been good music. For sure, I um. I actually wrote a few protest songs that I really like, but, uh, what are they? Of course. Well, I don't know if I should go from worst to first, but I do like after the gold rush, uh, even though Neil's getting crazy in his old days, I still, Oh, that's a great song though. Great song. Um, God on our side. That's, uh, Bob Dylan. Um, Peace. War Pigs. I, oh, know. great song. I mean, <laughs> great song. Zombie. And, and there's a, a remake by the band Cake of War Pigs, which is where they use a lot of brass. It's fucking phenomenal. I highly suggest it. Okay. Um, let's see. One more here. And Zombie, I had to look this one song. up. Zombie, but, you know, the Cranberries. Great real song. Real good. Real good. And then for what it's worth by the Buffalo Springfield. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's it's funny because I've never known the name of that song. I just know there's something happening here. You know. Yeah. So that one great song. I did, you know, and then the last one, I want to make a quick and tell a personal funny story. James Connolly, like you and I are Irish and the Irish Troubles, and right. I always get uh turned on by those those songs and I either want to get drunk or fight somebody. But um, there's a band called Black 47, 
I'm a yep. big fan of them, and I've seen them in New York City a whole bunch. They play bars and stuff. Right, I've seen them. Cool. Well, so my sister, the one that was on our podcast, so a while back when I lived in Jersey, uh, she came to town to visit. Her and I went to the city. She was a huge fan. She's actually the person that turned me on to them. And so I get us tickets to go see them at uh, Connolly's or one of the bars they played at. Mm-hmm. So we get there, and it's, you know, not too crowded. It's before the show. We get a beer. We're sit, standing at the bar. And um, up comes Larry Boy. Right? right? So he's about six feet from us. He gets a beer. And I'm like, Trees, Trees, Trees. There's the dude. There's the singer. I didn't even know his name. She's like, right. oh, my God, it's Larry Kirwan. I can't. I go, go talk to him. She's like, I can't. I can't. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do it. So I walk over. I'm like, hey, Larry. He's like, oh, hey, lad, what's up? <laughs> and we, you know, I'm like, hey, can I buy you a beer? And he's like, oh, I'm drinking for free tonight. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, hey, um, you know, big fan of music, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to bother you, but oh, you see that beautiful lady over there? And he's like, oh, she's gorgeous. Yeah, da, 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 da. I'm like, and she's like hiding, like, don't do this to me, cringing. <laughs> and he's like, well, let's go talk to her mate. <laughs> you know. So I bring him over. And he talks to her for like 10 minutes and she was just so starstruck and he was funny. He's cracking jokes. And I'm like the third wheel, just like being his little side piece, but yeah. it was just so funny. And then he got up on stage and he played James Connolly. And I'll tell you, man, I was like, like, Oh, I hate the, I hate the English. <laughs> How did we not talk about that when your sister was on? Ah, who knows? You know, it, Speaking of Black 47 and War, they have an entire album called uh, Iraq. And it breaks down, uh, you know, the Iraq War. And it's a great album. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Great band. Well, buddy, Uh, we're coming up. Yeah, go ahead. Just before we end, let me say, speaking of music, the worst war song, Guns N' Roses, Civil War. (laughs) I was going to say the eve of destruction. (laughs) So contrived. Every line in that story in that song is contrived. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm not I'm not a critic to I just know what I like and I know what I think is garbage, but I'll throw Eve of Destruction. I actually wrote that down as my oh, most unfavorite that's a great song. <laughs> you, you say so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, big dog, enjoy your mother's day and uh, give that wife a hug for me, will ya? <laughs> All right, you, you do the same. Stay free. See you, buddy. Bye.